Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's edition of JM Rewind. JM Rewind gives us a chance to check out some of the recent guests who've been with us in studio or on the phone at JM in the AM. We begin with Elliot Steinmetz, the coach of the Yeshiva University men's basketball team, coming off another spectacular season. We had a chance to sit down in studio with him recently on JM in the AM. Coach Elliot Steinmetz from Yeshiva University's Maccabees on JM Rewind on the Nahum Siegel Network. Uh, well, Yeshiva University has uh, many sports teams. Um, in fact, you'd probably be surprised at just how many and what types of sports teams they field, both in the men's and women's division of the NCAA. Uh, but I think it's safe to say that the most well-known and probably most followed of all the sports teams is the Yeshiva University men's basketball team, the Maccabees. We certainly have made a very big deal about them for the last, oh, I don't know, 30, 40 years or so. And uh, their coach for the last five years uh, is Elliot Steinmetz, and uh, we have spoken with him via telephone many times. I've always uh, dreamt of getting him in studio and having a full-length face-to-face conversation, and he has agreed, and now he is making it happen. The coach of the Yeshiva University men's basketball Maccabees, Elliot Steinmetz, in studio at JM in the AM. Good morning, sir. Good morning. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to have you here, and congratulations I know things didn't end up exactly the way we wanted it to, but it was a phenomenal season. Um, I guess of the five years, you'd have to say last year, the one that ended in 2018, was the best of all of them because that ended with a Skyline Championship plus a visit to the NCAAs. But this one was not so bad, right? We'll we'll take a cue from Chicago and say next year will be the best year. (laughs) And from what I hear, you're already starting to spread that message. We're working on it. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's listen. If you're not there with goals for, uh, you know, competing and and beating what you've done the year before, then then what's the point? Understood. But a lot of people would be surprised that you, as understated as you normally are, would make those goals public, which I am told you have done. And in addition to that, you know what I'm referring to, because it's a story that got around immediately when when at the Saracek tournament. You informed everybody that you would not be able to join them next year because it will coincide calendarically with the NCAA National Championships in Division Three. Yeah, so I guess you kind of figure it's uh, it's Shabbos and nobody's filming. <laughs> but, but I guess word spreads anyway. Oh, are you kidding? The second Abdullah was over, I heard about it. <laughs> um, no, we we have big goals, and you know I I, I think it's important. Uh, you know I've I've gotten asked a lot this year if um, if I worry about the expectations being high, and if I worry about the pressure of expectations now that we've you know had the success that we've had the last few years. And my answer has been simple. I mean, we've always had those expectations, and I think we spoke about this last time we talked. Um, we've always had those expectations. I think the rest of the Jewish world is kind of catching up. Right. Um, and, you know, so I thought it was important, certainly in, in, a, in a room full of, uh, you know, high school students who kind of look up to our guys to kind of say to them, these are our goals. This is what we plan to do. Um, you know, listen, we're not, we're not Patrick Ewing guaranteeing anything, uh, <laughs> but, you know, these are the goals that we're working towards, and we think they're realistic, and we, and we plan to accomplish them. You were simply discussing a scheduling conflict, that's all. Correct. No guarantees. With that in mind, then, it has to be, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but, but it has to be, and devastating might be too strong. It has to be so disappointing when you're in the Skyline Championship and you're shooting, your team is shooting as poorly as they are from beyond the three-point line, and they're not hitting second-half free throws. If that is the goal and the expectation, it must, be, it must eat you alive when you're going through that experience. It's definitely frustrating. Uh, thankfully, we have competitive players, so it's more frustrating for them, um, which you know puts them back in the gym, working hard, trying to uh, you know correct those things and and be better the following year. But it, it's it's definitely frustrating, and and devastating was a good word. I mean, you know, I talked to the guys a little bit after our you know after that loss about perspective and and life, and that's okay for a basketball game to be important, and and it's okay to feel upset about it. You know, just to have it's important to have a perspective on 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 life and what's real also. So, how would you describe the locker room after that game? Uh, very, very down. Um, you know, somewhat, I think, sh- you know, shocked and surprised. I think guys, you know, I think we've built to a point where guys expect to win, uh, which is, I think is a great thing for, you know, confidence in terms of Yeshiva University athletics and everything. So, you know, when you expect to do something and you have the, you know, expectation to accomplish it and then you don't, uh, especially when you put in the work and the investment that you have over the course of the year. It's um, it's depressing. Was there also an element because of the disappointing end to the season, those two two point losses that unfortunately took you out 
of the Max Stern Athletic Center for the Skyline Conference Championship, which would have been unbelievable. I mean, not not just for the fans, but for the players as well. Um, when they, when I, I assume your team, like most teams, has more confidence at home, and they might be sitting in that locker room at Farmingdale and saying to themselves, "Oh gosh, if we were home today, we would not have shot the way we did, and we would have performed much better." Yeah, there, there was definitely some of that, uh, you know. But we got outplayed in in two games at home that that cost us that opportunity. So we, you know, we did it to ourselves, so to speak, and. We had to go on the road and perform. Well, some might argue that the referee had something to do with that. And, and in this case, it's really not it, its not one of these you know crazy fan things that the refs did us in. There, there's a play that would have ended the game in our favor that the ref didn't catch. There was, but we, we also gave up 90-something points. And right. you know we were, we were averaging giving up about 70. So we, we could have done a lot better of a job defensively in right. that game. The and best way to safeguard against a bad call is to have a 10-point lead going into right. the few se- last few seconds which, of the game. Which we did at a certain point in that second half. Right. I know. You don't have to remind me. <laughs> and I wonder if you – I wonder how you view the fans. When you're so, you know, obviously invested in this and you are – you know, your, your stomach is turning as all this is happening, and the players, you can imagine the commitment that they've made, and we're going to talk about that, the insane commitment that Yeshiva University men's basketball players make to be part of this. I wonder how they view the fans who, you know, are on this high and on this low minute to minute as the game is going on. So it's become contagious for our guys. They, they love it, and it's actually helped us a ton in recruiting because, you know, we're able to kind of bring guys in or show guys film of, uh, of home games and say, look what we're playing in front of uh, every night. Uh, which is rare in Division Three. You don't see the kind of crowds in Division Three that you're seeing at Yeshiva University the last couple of years. Uh, it makes it a lot of fun, and our guys really have you know a ton of respect for the for the fans and for the students that come out, and it's, it's really been great. And and it goes further. Our guys have started now going to other other sports games just to kind of try to repay the favor, so to speak. Wow, very interesting. So our role as fans is taken seriously. Yeah. It's not a uh, you know. Guys don't show up for a half an hour and think you know what's going on here on the court. <laughs> somebody, somebody asked me why I'm driving an hour and whatever it is into the city at 6 o'clock in the morning to come in when I can call in. And I said, because he shows up every game. So well, i got to show up at the studio. It just... I, I, it's going to take me a minute to recover from that one. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Elliot Steinmetz is coach of the University men's basketball team. You know, you and I have spoken, and probably I, I probably have not really enumerated this directly for this audience because there are a lot of nuances to this and, it's a, and I believe it's a sensitive topic but it, 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 it is a fact and I think you knew this coming into the job it is a fact whether we like it or not that Yeshiva University men's basketball team not only represents themselves as a team not only represents Yeshiva as a university and as an institution but represents the Jewish people and whether they like it or not whether a player is into that or not they better learn to live with it because that's what's going on. What's going on is every time you step on the court or on a bus or in, you know, or, or in the hallway of another institution, everyone's looking at you guys. These are the Jews. And for, in many cases, the only Jews they'll ever meet in their lives, right? Yeah, it's very true. And it's actually something we talk about you know, certainly before every season. I, I've even started talking about it with recruits. You know, I want them to be aware and understand that this is, you know, w- whether it's important to them or not, it's important to us. Uh, and it's something that kind of comes with the territory and it's a responsibility of playing here um, and it's not for everybody uh, but it's certainly proven to be for our guys and they've been great at it um, they take the responsibility very seriously that we see but this group seems to be and by the way here's a good opportunity for me to pay tribute to every YU team in history because every one of the teams took it seriously but for some reason this group to me, and remember I've observed every team for the last 35 years, this group to me seems to take it, I don't know, to a different level. What is it about them that you would say? I don't know what it is. There's, there's just a certain pride and a camaraderie that these guys have. And, and, and you know, it's interesting because it is a diverse bunch within, within, right. within, you know, obviously the Jewish religion. We have kids from all over the spectrum right. in terms of Every their, background imaginable. Yeah, we really do. And they've just kind of really become brothers really, really quickly um, you know, and, and it, you know, it starts with the upperclassmen and it goes down to the freshmen and, and it just becomes something that kind of rolls year in, year out. And it, there's just a pride there. They're, they're, they, they understand what they're playing for. They understand why they're here. I think because we've been able to get some high-level players who had other options when they made this decision, you know, they didn't look at it as, oh, I'm settling and I'm not going to Division One. They looked at it as, hey, I'm going to play for Yeshiva University. Right, and that's it. It's a unique pursuit in the world of sports, right. which is funny for some people to hear that. But it really is a big deal. And you can tell, by the way, I, I think very often people say this about our Brooklyn Nets. I think you can tell very often the spirit of the team, by the way, the bench reacts. And your bench, 
I mean, they, they, they act during the game as if they are on that court every minute with anybody who's playing. And I think that's really important. Yeah, that's the goal. And you know, we talk about it all, all the time. It's, uh, you know, the, you know, the success of a corporation is really based on what the back end is doing and mm. the back office is doing. Um, you know, it's, it's real nice to be the salesman and to go out and to meet the clients and take them out to dinner. You know, those are the guys who are on the court playing every game. But if there are not guys back in the office who are putting in the work and, you know, working those guys hard in practice, so to speak, then you're not going to be in a good place when it gets out there. On the topic of representing the Jewish people well, it, would you say that that often or sometimes players who would react a certain way to calls and to moves by the opponents, etc., um, purposely hold themselves back uh, and try to control themselves even better because they know, again, that they're representing the Jewish people, not just themselves? I'm sure there's some of that. You know, I, I don't know that we see it as much in terms of reaction as we do in action. I think in terms of reaction, a lot of them, they're basketball players. So if there's a bad call, they're frustrated. Um, you know, I think they, they act a certain way and, they, and even react a certain way based on their upbringing and where they are, for sure. We see it more, I think, in, in action that you just wouldn't expect. You know, we, we've had games where in, in, a, in a big spot, uh, you know, an opponent will fall down. Uh, and instead of just running back into the play, one of our guys in the middle of a live play will pick him up. Right. Um, and I'm sometimes sitting there and get back, get back. Oh wow, you know what? That's that's better. That's bigger than the game right now. Go, you know, that's. And, the, and what I'm getting at, by the way, with this whole topic, is that when we observe you as a coach, it seems to us. And when I say us, you know, I sit with a group of fans, different ones each time, usually many of them from the Siegel family. And sometimes we, we get the feeling that you'd really like to react a certain way. But you, as the yeshiva coach, know that, that there's, there's no alternative. You have no choice but to remain as calm and focused as possible. Yeah, I think that's probably true. I think, I think part of it is being at yeshiva. Part of it also is just being a young coach and trying to you know, stay humble. I, you know, I think I'm learning new things every day. I think I'm learning about you know, certainly – you know, what the officials are seeing in games. I'm learning what opponents are doing. I mean, I'm only doing this five years. I'm, you know, a glorified high school coach who's just kind of jumped into this. Um, so I'm trying to stay humble on all fronts, but there's no doubt it's always in the back of our mind what we're representing and, and you know, knowing that a certain reaction, um, you know, in a, in a poor way is going to get just blown out, you know, in, in a big way because of who we are. Well, if you're then, you know, as you just described yourself, do you get too much credit for the success of Yeshiva University men's basketball? Uh, I, I don't know that I get a lot of credit. Oh, you I, get a lot of credit. Then, then, then yes, I look, get too much people credit. People look to you as the secret for the turnaround of the men's program. No, the secret of the turnaround is guys like Mike Berg and Simcha Halpert and, and Ryan Terrell and Gabe Leifer, guys like that who chose to come to IU and play basketball. And that's it. And it's only the players because – but you know that coaches – what did I say about college coaches? They need three things, recruiting, X's and O's, and inspiration, right? Those are three things. And then there's the old get me to the last minute of the game, you know, with a chance to win, and I'll and, and I'll help you guys win the game, right? Am I, am but, I right? But those, it, those are the basic philosophies of college basketball coaching. But across all, <laughs> across all divisions, you put it in the right order. Recruiting is number one. Yeah, it's the players. The players are the ones who are going to get wins. So it must frustrate you um, to hear what Nahum Siegel has heard over the last couple of months. Um, as you know, <laughs> as you know, there are years when the Yeshiva League, and when I say Yeshiva League, I'm including Sarachek around the country. There are years when the United States Yeshiva League is filled with some great potential ball players. The rumor is that in 2019, there, there, we don't have that many high-level players around the country that potentially could play for this YU team. I think it goes in cycles. I don't know that I would call it so much of a down year. You know, it, it's tough when you're comparing. You know, when you're comparing players to some of the guys who have come out of uh, you know the so-called you know national yeshiva league right. over the last few years. It's tough to find guys that are going to be like, uh, you know, like a Gabriel Leifer or a Ryan Terrell or some helper, guys like that who you know, are just so high level and, and people tend to compare. There are plenty of really good players out there that can fit you know, roles on the University team. Even today? Even today. Because the rumor is, or that's a bad way of putting it, the observation is right. that some of the greats from yesteryear would not be able to make this year's team. Is that too much of an exaggeration? I don't know. I mean, it, it, it depends. I think I think if you're great, you're great at any point. You know, I, I certainly think that the level has gone up. I think we're recruiting probably at a little bit of a higher level than it's been. Um, even in the last, even even in my first couple of years, I think we're at a higher level. Uh, as to who would make the team and who wouldn't, I always tell guys like this: <clears throat> there's probably 25 or 30 guys who can show up at tryouts, and I would say probably a good 20 of them are. Um, <clears throat> 
excuse me, are uh, are college level players and mm-hmm. certainly good enough to play for Yeshiva University. The problem is you're not putting out twenty guys on the floor, and right. you're probably not taking twenty on the roster. So what ends up happening is you probably have you know five to ten guys walking around campus that are good enough to play for us, and it's just not, it's just a numbers game. And you tell them what's expected from them in terms of representing the Jewish people. You tell them what's expected from them in terms of their schedule at Yeshiva. Do you tell them what's expected from them in terms of the early morning work workouts and other things that you've implemented that previous coaches did not have at Yeshiva? Yeah, I, I think it's important when we when we bring somebody in, whether it's for a visit or even if we're just, you know, talking in terms of recruiting, that, that everybody knows exactly what's there, you know, what the program is, you know, certainly what the school is like. Um, you know, because, again, we're recruiting on all ends of the religious spectrum. So you don't want somebody walking in and then a year in being like, oh, you sold me uh, you know, a bill of goods and this was supposed to be something right. I didn't think it was. I want everybody to know exactly what they're walking into. What time are they expected in the gym in the morning? Uh, usually 6.15. 6.15 in the yeah. gym. Uh, and if the National Yeshiva League is, again, not disappointing, but let's say for argument's sake, you know, it's going to be a challenging year to recruit well there, would you go to other countries to recruit? Because your team, as opposed to – some of the historic Yeshiva University teams is really North American heavy when in some years, in the last 20, 30 years, it's been very Israel heavy and, and really other countries as well. Right. We, we look everywhere. I mean, it really is a question of where the talent is. Um, you know, if you look at our roster now, we're, we're getting a ton of talent from California. Yeah, it's um, all California. It's, it's amazing. Um, you know, we are looking at a couple of players overseas. Um, you know, it's something that we do, uh, you know, every year. Um, you know, we're, we're a little bit loaded right now coming back. I think we were, we're graduating only, uh, only two seniors or, or you know, right. possibly three. So we're, we're really a little bit loaded up, which works out well in terms of, uh, in terms of making it easier for, for recruiting season. And the goal is to get, if you end up on the road or at home, is to make sure that in those really tough late season games, you shoot as well as possible. That is the biggest disappointment when you get there and that, and your shooting percentage is unfortunately too low, and that's really what it comes down to. But you have to give credit to the other team because their defense obviously has a lot to do with that. And one other thing, Mr. Steinmetz, and I said this to you after last year, now there's a big target on your back. Now the Yeshiva are no longer lovable losers. Now Yeshiva are you know at the top of the game and at the top of the conference, and you could see it, by the way, as you go through the season. I'm sure you felt it. The teams have an extra motivation to defeat Yeshiva University. Yeah, I, and, and we love that. I mean, I certainly do. I, I think that's what we were building for and what we were trying to get to. Um, you know, it's nice to it's nice to feel that, and 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 it was something that we saw. You know, as we went through the conference second time around, and we started to play teams that were already eliminated from the playoffs, and we we're just yep. stuck in these battles. And yep. you know, I, I told our guys, it's it's their Super Bowl. You know, yep. for, you know, we're sitting in first place. We had won a number of games in a row. Um, and we're playing a team that's really, you know, they're mathematically eliminated. This is their Super Bowl, their opportunity to kind of end the streak or, or knock us, you know, knock us down to second place, whatever it is. So it's, you know, we're getting everybody's best, which is a lot of fun. Uh, the winning streak was amazing. It was fun. The winning streak was amazing. There were some experts in the stands who said the best thing for Yeshiva would be to lose before they get to the playoffs. And, of course, that didn't work <laughs> in our favor. And I thought that was ridiculous, frankly. But you know how it is. You know? Yeah, it's not, it's not something I've ever subscribed to. Like, I keep saying the best thing for the Brooklyn Nets would be not to make the playoffs this year. But, you know, I don't right. know if that's, uh, if that's a really good observation or not. Also, what do you say to those who sit in this room the day after the championship and question your starting lineup? Or question those who you decide to play longer than others. Or use players who you generally have not used during the season. Or don't use players who often have come and have changed games during the season. What do you think of the people who sit around this table on Monday morning after hearing Yoshua Siegel call the game on Max Live and have all these things to say? I think if we were not making the playoffs every year and competing in championships, people wouldn't be having those conversations and care enough. So I think it's really great. I think it's awesome. I think uh, people should criticize. People should have thoughts about it. I love that we're a topic of conversation. Right. Um, you know, and, and I love hearing it. You know, uh, you know, I, I don't feel responsibility to necessarily answer it. Um, but I, you know, I think we, you know, we look at the success that the players who have been out there have been having. You know, whether it's this season winning 17 games in a row, whether it's last season uh, going to the NCAA tournament for the first time in school history. And I think their accomplishments really speak for themselves. So you don't sit in your car on the way home and do the if only? If only I would have played this guy or not have had so much faith in this guy? 
I really don't. I mean, I, you know, I'll, I'll think through the strategy of the game. I'll think through certain plays that happened in the game. You know, there's occasionally a time where you'll think about a sub, and if another, but you never know. I mean, you could you could put a guy. Listen, we you know last year championship game, we're struggling at the beginning of the game. Nobody seems to remember we were down 12, 13 points right. to start that game, and on a whim we throw Justin Hoden in the game, and six six for six three pointers later in the first half, we're right. suddenly blowing them out. As as your coach Benji Ritz, Ritholtz said, arguably the greatest half in the history of Yeshiva University of basketball, and I think that's a good argument. I'm not even sure it's arguable. Right, it, it's unbelievable when yeah. you think about it. It's just unbelievable. And and it's sort of like uh, you know like he didn't play that much this year, and I don't think he needed to. Like he had, he had done it all. Like yeah, yeah. what else is he going to accomplish at this point? Yeah, unfor- <laughs> unfortunately, he had some injury issues this year, which ah. which, which was uh, which was tough for him. But um, I mean, yeah, he's never going to be forgotten in Yeshiva, in Yeshiva basketball history for what he did last year. Yeah, I, I mean, kids uh, kids will watch that video; they'll not believe what the, what they're seeing before their eyes. A couple of basketball questions while you're here. Not just yeshiva, but in general basketball. What is the uh, halftime discussion like? We always, as fans, hear about halftime adjustments. Is it always focused on one or two adjustments, or are there other things going on in that room during halftime? So my, my favorite thing after a game where we go into halftime down a couple of points and then we go and win the game and everybody is talking about the coach's adjustments mm-hmm. and how great they did. Right? We don't make that many adjustments at halftime. We're, we're not that smart. Um, I mean, really, it's really, it's really about we, we have our plan, right? We, we, we have a certain style that we play, and what we're trying to do at halftime is generally just correct where we've been off the path. So, you know, for example, if we, um, if we feel like we haven't gotten enough ball reversals in the first half and therefore we're shooting 42% from the field as opposed to our game average this year, which was about 53, we'll say, hey, you know, we, we only had, you know, we, we shot, you know, two for 13 in the first half when we didn't reverse the ball, but we shot, you know, four for five when we reversed it twice. You know, wh- why are we going away from what we do? You know, let's make sure we get back to what we do. And that's not really an adjustment. That's kind of just, you know, like a little bit of a kick in the pants of what we're supposed to be doing. But if a team double teams a player that's unexpected or plays a zone or man to, or whatever, any of that stuff, in other words, what you're saying is that adjustment's being made immediately. It's not, you're not waiting until halftime. Right. To, 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 you know, recreate the game plan, so to speak. Right, and frankly, with what we do offensively, it's not a major adjustment. It's generally, you know, it's just generally an understanding of spacing, and it's stuff that we've been prepared for, and it's really just recognition and then reacting the right way. So the huddle is much more important than halftime because that's where real adjustments are being made. Yeah, I think that's right. I think, I think the huddle, I think even more important than the huddle and even more important than halftime is just having good leadership on the court. You know, we, we have smart players, and these guys are able to kind of look at each other in the course of a live play and adjust themselves to what's going on on the court. Don't you find it hard to communicate with the players now because there's so many fans in the arena? I'm being serious now. Isn't it It's louder and more difficult to do that? There's, yeah, no, no doubt. That, that definitely is an issue, and you kind of have to you know, make sure your captains know to look over every so often in right. case you do want to tell them something. But it's very often in a game where you'll, you know, and, and somebody will say to me after a game, oh, you guys ran a great set in the, you know, the middle of the second half where you got, uh, you know, Terrell had a little guy on him and you got him in the post and it was an easy bucket. And we didn't, we didn't call a play there. You know, Donnie Katz recognized it or Gabe Leifer recognized it, you know, got the ball over to Halpert and he, you know, pointed Terrell into the post and then they got him the ball. The coaches did nothing there. These guys just get it. You know, they have an understanding of the concept of what we're trying to do. Do you feel bad for other coaches who don't know how to handle Gabe Leifer under the basket? I feel bad for anybody who has to guard that kid right now. And what's and what's interesting is that he he I don't know he has a style about him that's just it seems different than most conventional basketball players. Yeah, he's um, it's it's interesting. I've, I've heard him compared to a lot of different kind of players. Uh, the most interesting one I heard recently was uh, was another coach in our conference said he's like uh, the skyline Tim Duncan. Hmm, interesting. That's interesting. I guess like slow, fundamental, plotting, but he's surprisingly athletic. Right. And I guess I, I, to us, it's sort of like he comes out of nowhere. Like, you know, he accelerates yeah. at, a, at a rate that's un, un, unanticipated, that's unexpected. And then when he gets to around the basket area, forget it because he's just, you know, he's amazing underneath that basket. And uh, we know what happened once he joined your team two years ago. All of a sudden, the winning started and, yeah. and look what happened. It's pretty amazing. Um, and, and we should mention, by the way, that, that, uh, that, the majority of the players, if not all of those who you mentioned in this conversation, have all been cited with awards and All America stuff, and and second team and first team, and I mean it just keeps coming. Every every other day, you're posting these Skyline Conference and National NCAA awards. It must be amazing to see them recognized that way. 
Yeah, it's fun. I mean, the, the the one that we didn't get that I really wanted was um, was Tal Guetta, uh, who I, I put up for uh, for Defensive Player of the Year in our conference, and I really thought had done a great job this year. So I'll get a chance now to at least give him some recognition. <laughs> but he, um, you know, he did a fantastic job, and and those guys deserve it. They do. And you know, what's what's cool about those guys is that they always turn around right away. And and we have you know we have a, a team WhatsApp chat, and they right away thank the team. You know, for for when they get the award, it's you know they recognize that without their teammates, they're not you know they're not anywhere. Has your schedule been set for next year yet? Our schedule is set for next. Uh, year. Is it going to be very different in terms of the type of competition? Because I know that over the years you've tried to increase in non-conference play the level that your team is playing, the type of teams your team is playing. Is that going to be very different this coming year? It is, um, and and for a couple reasons. First of all, we're adding a team to the conference. Uh, Manhattanville is actually coming back to the conference. Mm. You probably remember them from back when I played. They were in the conference. Um, So that'll change our conference schedule. It will not be 20 games. It'll be 16, uh, which allows us to now play nine non-conference games instead of only five. Got it. Which I've been wanting for years. It gives us an opportunity to really up our schedule in terms of the uh, strength of schedule, which – Probably cost us the at-large bid this year. Yeah, there uh, may have been an at-large an at-large bid. There, there is. I mean, it's it's a possibility. We just didn't have a strong enough strength of schedule this year. Um, so it's you know it's something that's a possibility. It's not something that Skyline team generally gets. But you know we're we're working towards changing that. That's interesting. We as observers have been told and surmised all these years that there's no such thing as a Skyline at-large bid. I, I don't know if it's happened in the past. I'd have to go and look. Um, right. It's certainly it's certainly possible. I mean, if you're mm-hmm. if you're one of the top teams in the in the country and you lose in that championship game and your strength of schedule is strong enough and the you know the NCAA committee feels you deserve it, you know they could put you in. Interesting. So we might see Yeshiva against what type of teams that we haven't seen them against before. So we're we're gonna play and I, and I don't remember the list offhand right. next year. But, but give me one or two that you remember. Yeah, I mean we're gonna play Williams again, which mm-hmm. is which is great. They top were, ten, they were top ten in the country this year. Um, we're gonna go and play um, uh, NJCU out in Jersey, which is a which is an NJAC team, which which they were number one in our region this year. Um, but we're playing, I think, of the nine games, I believe seven of them were either regionally ranked or in the NCAA tournament. Do your players know this? They, they do. They're excited. Yeah. Are they oh, excited? Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> These guys are built different. I'm telling you, these guys are excited for competition. They want the challenge. Oh yeah, they want the challenge, and they're gonna meet that challenge. Uh, and in some of those games, they are going to prevail, no doubt. Yep. It's pretty amazing, the whole thing. Uh, the team has had an opportunity to spend Shabbos together, am I right? They have, yeah. And that might surprise some of the people listening, that, that you know, this whole, I don't know, this whole carryover um, from, you know, from the court to, the, to off the court also includes, you know, these religious experiences together. Yep. Uh, what is that like? So I, I wasn't able to be at the one that they had this year, but, right. they, you know, they came back just, you know, really talking about it. I mean, Shabbos is a special day in general, and, and to have the guys kind of have it together, um, it, it creates just a, a, like a family bond, like a real strong unity, and they, um, you know, I, I think I think it's an advantage that we have over over anybody we're playing against. It's really the, the you know, kind of the brotherhood and the, uh, and the camaraderie that these guys have, and I think, you know, having a Shabbos together enhances it. I think you see it across the, you know, entire, you know, religious spectrum, like it, whether it's... Uh, you know, an NCSY Shabbaton or, or any kind of, uh, you know, camp event. Shabbos always just has something special right, to it. That's I think true. that applies here also. Uh, would you prefer to eliminate all Saturday night games if you had your chance? No, I actually enjoy them. I think the crowds are great. I know I know people think that the our The players guys, must not like them. I, I think it's tough because they don't get to shoot around during the day yeah. and they're coming in, obviously, some of them after a long day. And, you know, it's... Uh, yeah, but I think it's good for our fans. I think I also assume they have to restrict their diet on Shabbos, which is a pain in the neck. Right, probably true. Yeah, I'm not sure all of them do, but <laughs> right, and, and that also becomes a pain yes, in the neck. It does. So you wouldn't eliminate Saturday no, night? No, I still enjoy it. I think it's great for them. I think it's good for the school. Some said that the the last Saturday night game of the season you would have won if it wasn't on a Saturday night. And I never buy into that. Stuff. <laughs> Don't you love all these theories that are going on as you're coaching a game? Yeah. Do you get along with the other coaches in the conference? I do. Yeah, I have a very good relationship with them in general. And I don't know, are they are are the majority of them there in their schools for many years? Like, are they legends in their program at this point? There are a few that have been there a long time. There's a few that are newer. There's there's a couple that are you know there a, long, a shorter time than I have been. But um, you know, from from the you know elder statesmen to the newer guys, I've really gotten a chance to meet a lot. Of, you know, spend time with all of them, obviously, and I get along with all of them really well. Hmm. And this whole experience, does it give you a greater appreciation for the yeshiva teams of the 50s, 60s, 70s, who likely had a lot more anti-Semitism that they faced in that era, 
uh, that probably were much more uncomfortable than you are walking into some of the arenas, you know, even here in the New York area, not just talking about the NCAAs, but even here in the New York area. I mean, you, you must have a, a, even as a player, I'm sure you had a much greater appreciation for those who preceded you because times were very different. Yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, and, it, and it's been great because we've had people reaching out from those eras. I mean, we were sitting at a team dinner last night in, in a restaurant and two or three people came over. One of them had played in the 50s and he you know, couldn't stop talking about how excited he was that we were in the restaurant. Were your players excited to yeah, be there? Yeah, they thought it was great. They, they were blown away by it. But we've, and we get letters occasionally from guys who have played or emails. So it's, it's you know, there's an appreciation and, and, it, and it's very cool. Some of them show up at games now. Um, you know, come over and introduce themselves. So it's it's a lot of fun, but there's definitely a, a major respect and appreciation for what they did. You know, a lot of them were doing it without a home gym. Um, right. They were traveling to practices, traveling to games. Um, you know, and and the truth is, you know, without all the work that those guys did and the coaches before me, you know, to get us into the NCAA, into the Skyline Conference, you know, to really kind of forge a path. You know, we're not here doing what we're doing. Does the team have a restaurant of choice? <laughs> I don't. I don't think they do. I mean, we were, we, we were in uh, the Upper West Side last night, but they, they don't have. I think those. Do guys the restaurant tours know who's sitting there in their restaurant? Do they get it? <laughs> it, it was. Uh, we, we we had a lot of people come over to the table. It was pretty cool. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. yeah. I have to get I have to get my people to uh, spy you guys out so I know where you are and I can come I can come join you guys. Um, the um, the other you mentioned a, a, a few minutes ago about your players feeling the obligation to go to other sports and be in the crowd when I guess volleyball and and a lot of other sports are taking place up at Yeshiva. Is it is it difficult? I mean, that's the wrong word, but th- does it cause friction on campus when when every player in every mi- women's and men's sports at Yeshiva knows that the world primarily focuses on only one team? I don't think so. I think I think every athlete that's there is there because they want to compete in their sport and they want to kind of put their sport on the map. I mean, if you look at Yeshiva University and, and the teams that have had the most most success over the last few years, it, it's not men's basketball. We're up there, but look what the tennis team is doing. Right. You know, our men's tennis team. I don't think they've lost a skyline game in like five years. Right. Um, with many championships in a row. With many championships, with NCAA wins. You know, they're just really doing a great job over there and on, on, that, on that side. And I think every program, including the basketball program, is kind of aspiring to have that kind of success. Um, so there's no resentment. There's no, no so. and the athletic director is able to keep everybody in check. Yeah, he does a real good job. And, with it. and there's a reality. The reality is that the world is, for whatever reason, focused on men's basketball. It's one of the most popular sports in the world. It's well, I they're think, focused right. on men's I mean, basketball. It's, I think it's the same across, uh, you know, Division One, Two, II, and Three. Right. That's the way things are. Um, and you mentioned earlier that um, there's an expectation that every player who you speak to, interview, recruit, etc. Uh, they're given the entire list. One of them is conditioning. And not to make fun of our community, but um, it's not one of the things we're well known for. Let's put it that way. Um, and in fact, some some surmise that the effort to get the YU men's basketball team to be in the condition they need to be in would be a very, very big challenge. How has that gone? They're making what type of commitment year-round to stay in shape? So I, I actually think even from the uh, from the community standpoint, I think things have changed over the last number of years. I mean, if you look, it's changed in the world in general. There's right. kind of whole move towards fitness. But even in our community, a lot of the events that are now going on, even like charity events, are all focused around athletics. You know, and I know you've been supportive of a lot of them. Like like for example, um, the Oh Hello XC that's coming up that that I'm involved with. It's 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 based around athletics in terms of our guys. I think a lot of them, and I think this is the reason a lot of these players are so much better than we were at our age. They're just spending more time on it. They're more in shape. They they work out on their own, um, you know. But in terms of what we're doing, we have guys who are just committed year round to working hard, um, to staying in shape. We give them an off season program to work off of. We have a strength and conditioning coach who does a fantastic job with our guys preseason and postseason at school and during season, um, and it gives an. They're opportunity. working now. Oh yeah. Wow. Yeah. Our guys are in the weight room and in the gym pretty much every day. So you probably were watching what they were eating last night in that restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> some, like, some, some of them need it. <laughs> you're like the cat mother. <laughs> yeah, some of them need to get bigger, so it's not a bad thing. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That happens a lot in sports where you want guys to bulk up. Yeah. I get that. Uh, we will not address um, an issue that I'm sure you thought I would. because You know why? Because not only do I finally understand it, I think I can finally address it myself. And that is why some uh, players... Um, gravitate toward wearing a yarmulke on the court and others do not. And I think I finally, after 40 years, I think I finally got it. 
and it's not a judgment call or anything on anybody. But I will point out that that you you have certain high profile players on your team, many of whom did not grow up wearing yarmulkes in their gym, which is again the primary reason why they wouldn't, you know. And yet they've made the move to go ahead and do so because they now know, yep. as we discussed earlier, that they really are representing the Jewish people, whether we like it or not. Because yarmulke really doesn't, you know, mean much. In right. ter- but it does. In other words, you know, that that's the perception out there that you know, if you're going to represent the Jewish people, you must have a yarmulke on your head. So a big shout out to them, and, and we don't have to talk about that. But one thing I need you to discuss with me before you leave sure. and before we wrap up is this. You know, you, you you give the and we know each other a long time. And I would say from the time I've met I met you many decades ago, at this point, you've always been all business. You're you're th- th- that that is your profile basically. You know, there's a task to do, let's go do it, let's accomplish. You know, et cetera, et cetera. Not in any way to suggest that you're not a friendly, sociable person, but you know when there's a task. I'm not. <laughs> but you know when there's a task to be done, you take it very seriously. That would indicate to me that when you was, and, you know, again, following basketball my whole life, that would indicate to me that when you're a basketball coach, uh, you are essentially focused and do not want to be bothered by anybody other than your associate coaches, and you have a great team, you have some wonderful assistant coaches. I do. And obviously your players. And that's it. You know, you're not interested in other distractions. That's the impression you give. And then during a game, you know, I could tell you that I think twice before going over to say hi to you because I know you're in the zone, so to speak, etc. Yet with all of that, you, I don't know if the word is insist or whatever word you want to use, you make sure to include as primary members of your team People that I guess for this audience's uh, um, for this audience I would say from the Yachad community. I'm saying it that way only because a lot of people know exactly who I'm talking about, and they're wonderful people that we know from Camp Masora sure. and other places, etc. And you, as as much as you are focused and likely would not want Nahum Siegel sitting next to you during a game, right? Likely, probably wouldn't even want family members of yours sitting next to you during a game. But if a Yachad member wants to sit next to you during the game, and give you water during the game, and advise you during a huddle during the game, for that you will have patience. Explain it to me. So I, I just think there are some things that are that are bigger than whatever than whatever you're actually doing. I mean, I, I, you know, I, as you know, this is not my full time job. I'm I'm a lawyer by right. trade, and I you know I have a commercial real estate practice <laughs> in in Valley Stream. And if I'm sitting at work during the day, you know, at my firm, I'm not going to want uh, you know my family members coming in and talking to me about work. I'm not going to want you know anybody except for maybe my you know my partner or my associates at work talking to me about work things because we're focused. Um, but if you know if if JJ calls me up, or, or you know another, you know another manager, or even obviously even a player, it's something that's just bigger than that moment. So you you know you take it. The same thing, the same thing in a game, or the same thing in um, in a practice. Um, you know this means so much to them, and, and and because it means so much to them, that's that's in that's just contagious. Like that comes, it means to you know means a lot to us afterwards. Um, I, I love having them there. It's just it's a ton of fun. You know, JJ's over there. He makes sure that nobody takes my seat during timeouts. That's, that's like that's his. <laughs> that's he's his given job. himself that role. So <laughs> if if you watch during games, he sits right next to me, and then you know as soon as there's a timeout, he puts his legs on my chair. Wow. You know, and then and Menachem is like you know always has a thought about the game. Always uh, you know always wants an to observation, learn what's going right. on. Always has an observation. First one to go get water for the players for the coaches comes to practices in the morning sometimes. Um, you know, just he loves to be around. He came to our team dinner last night. You know, and he just he loves to be around it. And they've become real, you know, we call them assistant coaches and managers, but they've become a real part of that family and a real part of the team. And I think it's really good for them and it's really good for our guys. All right. So you have been a Yeshiva League player and a Yeshiva League coach, and there are players and coaches listening right now. And we know that sometimes things can be taken very seriously in the Yeshiva League and things can get very heated, etc. Uh, would you say that this is a good example of how one could use their position both as player and coach to really not just do chesed, but to teach their players you know, what priorities are? I think it's important. We used to do it. When I was at Hank and, uh, and North Shore coaching high school, we used to try to take at least one Sunday out per season, um, and I would arrange it. My cousin works, uh, works at Yachad, and I would arrange it with her, and we'd go and run a clinic for, you know, for Yachad kids on a Sunday morning, for example, for an hour or two. 
Um, you know, I've tried, uh, we've tried to instill the same thing at Yeshiva. Uh, they have what's called the Makor program at Yeshiva, which is, right. which is for the, you know, for the, for the guys that you're talking about in terms of Menachem and JJ who sit with us, they're part of that program. Um, you know, we've had our guys run clinics for them once a week during the, uh, during the course of the school year. Um, you know, it's just, it's, it's an important thing, I think, to, you know, to be able to give back a little bit to the community. I've had my guys go and do clinics at, um, at our place in uh, in New York, which is you know a program for at risk sure. teenagers, right. um, and something that we plan to do again. Uh, I just think we've you know, and and Daniel Tamir, one one of my assistants, has really been um, the driving Wonderful force. Guy. Yeah, it really is, and been driving force behind this kind of uh, finding chesed opportunities for our guys, so that they're they're not just there for school, they're not just there for basketball, they're there for you know bigger lessons in life. And if someone listening has a suggestion for you in that area, Absolutely. you want to hear it. Of sure, of course. Unbelievable. And you should know also that there's certain players of yours that, you know, again, pregame is so intense. You know, no one thinks it is because there's a shoot around and layups and all that. But it, guys are getting ready to play a game, and yet they come over, they say hi to fans, and especially the fans that come on a regular basis, and they appreciate it. And, you know, and every time I go over to a player after a game just to say great game, the first words out of their mouth, thank you so much for coming. And that's, it's it just, I don't know, there's something about that that I think is so great. Yeah, I mean, they're good kids, but it also, you, you see it. It means something to them that you're there. It means something to them that the fans are there. It means something when their family shows up. It's, it's important to them to have that support because, you know, they are working hard and they are putting in a ton of hours. Um, and it's not easy to be a student athlete. It's really just not an easy thing, in, in, in this, especially in a school like Yeshiva where right. the curriculum is just so heavy. Um, but they appreciate the support. They really love it. The administration of the university? Awesome. They, you work well with them. Yeah, they've been so supportive. It's really been amazing. Unbelievable! I'll tell and you. Rabbi Berman calls after games occasionally. Comes to games. He's he's been great. Elliot Steinmetz is the coach of the Yeshiva University men's basketball team, the Maccabees, and uh, they'll restart their battle on the court. I guess in November, right? That would be the time. The games, yeah. Right. The games will start. Yeah, good point. <laughs> we'll, we'll actually start practice probably a little earlier than usual. We're going to have to get a waiver from the NCA because of the Chagim. Because the Chagim are all October. They're all October. So we would lose practice days when we're allowed to start. So we'd have to get a waiver to start. Early. Is that a battle or they'll do no, it for you? we've done it in the past. And they will do it for you. So that means that practices will likely begin for Yeshiva around Labor Day. Probably somewhere around there. And is it true that you, you are required to have no communication with the team at certain times during the year? Is that accurate? We're allowed to communicate. We're not allowed to do any kind of basketball activity. Um, basically till October 15 or whatever the waiver is. From day. now? Mm-hmm. From, after from the, now, from after the D three championship, I believe it is. So, if you, for instance, I mean, I, I you know, nitpick kind of question. I'm just curious if you, if you're, I don't know, involved in some basketball tournament or something with the team, would that be a problem? There are different things that are allowed. I mean, I can't be running a practice. I can't be, you know, running clinics for them or training them. Um, if I happen to be playing basketball in the same place they are, I imagine that's not right. Can your conditioning coach work with them? Uh, he can. Yeah. Your assistant coaches can't. Cannot. A little strange, no? The NCAA rules are a little bit all over the place. <laughs> you, you never can figure them out, huh? That's why I, I, my first my first action is always to either make a text or a phone call to you know either our AD or our compliance officer anytime we want to do anything and just say, hey, I know it sounds like a stupid question, but I want that, to make that sure. That could that. include last night, frankly. Yeah, well, no, last night's, yeah, we're allowed to have a team dinner. Right, understood. Yeah. But I'm saying, like any Correct. gathering like that, yes. you, may, you may say to yourself, yeah. wow, boy. Are they allowed to go to? Are you allowed to go to a Daniel Katz's wedding? <laughs> Donnie Katz will allow you that. I, I will be going to that. I'll to, whatever I got to do, I'll be there. Is that wedding being planned around the season schedule or not? I don't even know. You have no idea. No, because I don't know. I would think that you know it would be be, be beneficial to have that wedding either before or after the season. Would you agree? I, I would think so, but I, I'm not going to get in the way. <laughs> I'll tell you. I, I don't know how I think of this stuff. It's crazy. Anyway, um, to you and the entire Yeshiva University men's basketball team, I say thank you because uh, we get so much enjoyment and so much pride from everything that you guys are doing, and you represent us very well. And I can only imagine how many times uh, the team wants to react a certain way in different circumstances and don't because they know that they are, in fact, representing the Jewish people, and I think that's pretty amazing. So thank you, Elliot. Thank you. Thank you for all the support throughout the years. A pleasure. Elliot Steinmetz, coach of the Yeshiva University men's basketball team. Finally, my dream came true, a full-length face-to-face conversation uh, with somebody who leads one of the, uh, in my opinion, one of the the best outfits in the Jewish community, and that's Yeshiva University men's basketball. That was my conversation with Elliot Steinmetz, a recent guest in studio at JM in the AM. 
Next up is uh, Annie Watman. Annie is uh, representing Teach NYS as we get an opportunity or had an opportunity to discuss some of the recent additions to the uh, state budget in terms of security for yeshivas, security payments for yeshivas. Annie Watman from Teach NYS, a recent guest of ours on JM and the AM here on JM Rewind at the Nahum Siegel Network. Uh, Annie Watman is with us live via telephone. She serves as the Grassroots Engagement Director for Teach NYS, where she stewards the grassroots and community engagement for the Teach efforts across New York. She has served as APAC's Director of South Shore Long Island and um, and now has this, uh, this position with Teach NYS, and there is some really, really good news that she's going to help me discuss with you, our wonderful audience, here on a Wednesday morning at JM in the AM. Annie Watman, Grassroots Engagement Director for Teach NYS. Welcome back to JM in the AM. Good morning. Thanks for having me. A pleasure. There must be, in your position, there must be nothing more satisfying than to see a state legislature um, come through with funds that you asked for, you and your colleagues asked for, on behalf of of the Jewish community. And uh, Teach NYS, rightfully so, is using this opportunity to laud the New York State Legislature for the additional funds that have been provided for day school and yeshivas in their 2019-2020 budget. Was this, uh, I don't know, was this unexpected? Is this considered a major victory? How would you classify this news from Teach NYS? So this was tremendous news. I think in today's budget climate, um, and in state spending and legislatures in general, nothing is ever guaranteed. And especially this year with the Senate flipping from a Republican-controlled majority to a Democratic majority, you know, everything was, was up in the air. But we, we prepared for this moment. We prepared for um, all of the discussions leading up to the day that the budget would go final. And we're really seeing the fruits of our labors and the fruits of the community's labors. We, we work around the year um, to really get the community involved in politics, and you see the results of that when the budget passes. So we're, we're so proud of how the community stepped up, how all of the day schools and yeshivas that we work with really stepped up and were active and were contacting their local elected officials. And um, we're very pleased with the results, but we're not surprised. It's by, really the result of a year's worth of work. By the way, you, you outlined uh, in the email that we got some of the highlights of this uh uh, of this uh, amazing piece of news. One of them is that there'll be an additional $25 million in security funding, and that is uh, funding that, for the first time, New York camps, and we know how many Jewish summer camps there are in New York State, uh, could tap into as well, so that's a big help. Yes. Plus an additional, thir- an additional $30 million towards STEM education, plus $7 million in CAP and MSR. I don't even know what CAP and MSR are, frankly, but, <laughs> but what area of, of, of life is that? Is that is that so? CAP and MSR are um, is a unique program. It's been around for decades, and it's essentially a reimbursement program that schools have been taking advantage of for decades. It's mandated services such as taking attendance, immunization record keeping, taking of standardized tests, and those activities are reimbursed. So that's a huge program that in, that received a um, a three point six percent increase, which is the standard increase. But the two programs that we really fought for was this additional security funding and then the STEM program, which is now funded at $30 million, a 100% increase over last year's levels of $15 million. Now, I remind everybody that there was a time not long ago, and you'll tell me if I'm being accurate, where security funding was zero and where STEM education was zero. Am I right? There was a just time. A, just a few years ago. And, and the reason I am so amazed at the work that you've done with your colleagues is because I remember when all these Teach NYS efforts began, all the people in the community, many of them really responsible community leaders who've said this is a complete waste of time, it's never going to happen, especially in New York State for all the reasons that, you know, that people mention about the, uh, you know, how, how government makes things grind to a halt, you know, et cetera, et cetera, and how they didn't have faith that the legislature up in Albany would, would act on any of these. And then because you guys just kept knocking on the doors and having the rallies and, you know, every school year coordinating with the Jewish and non-Jewish groups and all different, you know, day schools, yeshivas, Hasidic schools, etc., because of all those efforts, look what's happened. So I, I think, you know, for, for those of us who've watched this whole process, it's really a big celebration. 
Absolutely. We had a lot of people who never thought it was possible, and we had some early believers who really rolled up their sleeves and got involved, invested in our work, came with us to Albany, and we changed our tactics. Instead of sending 10 rabbis up to Albany, we brought 700 kids and parents and administrators, and we really we professionalized, we streamlined our message, we hired the best lobbyists, and look how it's, um, look, look at the results for our community. Um, the thought behind all of this just so people won't think that it's only yeshivas who benefit from all this, is that is that every student in New York State is being provided with some type of security funding and with some type of of um, subsidy towards STEM education in their schools, right? That's a, that, that would be an accurate statement, right? It's across the entire state that this is going on, and, and we felt, we, you know, the collective we, that yeshivas, you know, deserve the same type of treatment. Exactly. We, we advocate for all non-public schools. And all of this funding, um, any sort of non-public school can apply for. Um, we feel that what, no matter what school you go to, your school needs to be safe. No matter what school you go to, you need access to quality, state-of-the-art STEM education so that you can simply keep up and, and be eligible for the jobs of the future. So this funding really allows our schools to hire the best teachers, implement the programs, and above all, provide safety and security for their kids, no matter where they go to school. And by the way, I'm not familiar with every school in New York State, but the the, these, the day schools that I'm familiar with, for instance, and the high schools that I'm familiar with, they already spend a lot of money on security and a lot of yeah. money on STEM education. So it's not like you know, that it's not like our community isn't really, you know, pitching in to a great degree to keep the children safe and to keep them, you know, at the highest academic levels. Exactly. So got to keep that in mind also. I don't want people to think that, you know, everyone's just relying on state funds to, to keep these types of programs going. Uh, schools de- right. dedicate, and parents, obviously, through tuition payments, et cetera, dedicate a lot of funds uh, to these two areas. All right, and the reason this is all happening now, I assume, is because the budget was just closed right April 1st, right? This was the whole big thing that happened this past weekend, correct? Yep, exactly. April 1st, the budget closed, came after a couple weeks of intense budget negotiations. Two weeks before the budget closed, we had 700 people in Albany um, advocating for these increases in STEM and security. So this is really a result of a long of a long process over the past couple weeks and months and culminated in a really tremendous uh, result for our community. This might be an unfair question to ask you. You're so focused on New York. Do we have any idea if we did well in other states? Do we have any clue if there's been progress, you know, the same way that New York State's been such uh, you know, a big victory in all this? Yeah, absolutely. We have um, six different state offices, um, and they all have their different budget deadlines and schedules. So uh, no other budget closed on on April 1st, but there are a lot of – there's a lot of initiatives happening in New Jersey. They're advocating for it. They just had a tremendous security win a few months ago, and they might be trying for another – for a STEM bill that mirrors New York's bill. Florida just got a lot of new security money. Pennsylvania is increasing their – scholarship funds all the time. So there are successes happening in all the states where we have offices, and we cover about 90% of the Jewish day school population in America through these six offices. And, and you both consult with and, and ask help when you need from all these different state offices, right? Whenever whenever there's something that goes on in New York that others, other groups in other states think that you know it's a good idea for them to try to replicate, they're, they're at your door asking you exactly what to do, right? It's a big collaborative right. effort. Exactly. Especially, you know, the STEM reimbursement program is first in the nation. It's absolutely historic. So states are now looking to New York and saying, wow, if New York can get this done, right. so can we. Our students can't be left behind either. And we're, we're, we're hoping that this catches on in several other states. All right. Look, I don't know in the end, because that's always a big debate in our community, if this, you know, helps with, with, the, with, with stopping the rise in tuition payments, things like that. Obviously, that's something parents would love in our community. I don't know if that ends up working, you know, in, in that area or not. But the bottom line is, uh, it, it, all of the schools uh, in New York now have uh, two very important uh, areas um, that will re- be receiving additional funding, and for that, as we say, is uh, certainly cause to celebrate. Annie Watman is uh, grassroots engagement director at Teach NYS. Annie, thank you to you and all your colleagues. Make sure to wish them a Mazel Tov. Thank you so much. That was my conversation with Annie Watman of Teach NYS. Thanks so much for tuning in. More JM Rewind coming at you one week from today at 10 a.m. Eastern Time. Thanks for joining us. More coming up. Keep it at the Nahum Siegel Network.
as we know in Shum Yehud. Ba'olam Klaus.